the U.S. military and the public school system, two key areas in the ongoing fight for religious freedom. Hi, I'm Peyton Luke, and this is First Liberty Live. First Liberty brought together national leaders from across the nation to discuss the future of religious liberty. Stuart Shepard was there and able to get some perspective on the ongoing fight in the military and the public schools. First, he talks to a retired general who was a founding member of the Army's Delta Force. This is my good friend, General Jerry Boykin. Uh, in my eyes, he is a hero and a patriot. Uh, he was one of the original members of the Army's Delta Force. He watched over all of the Green Berets and also worked with the Navy's Special Warfare Center and School. I always mess the name up on that, but it's an important school that does very it serious is. work it's all around the world. It's school. Yeah, and uh, you've spent 36 years in the military. Thank you for that, and thank you for making time to talk to us today. I'm delighted to be with you. I should also mention he's an executive vice president for Family Research Council in Washington, D.C., which does great work. I am indeed, and, uh, and, and it's been a real privilege to be part of this organization. You're here to talk about religious freedom in the military. What is it that people need to understand about the rights that men and women in uniform have even after they take the oath? What they need to understand is that uh, the, some of the recent uh, Supreme Court rulings uh, have really codified uh, what I believe is uh, the way ahead for religious liberty in our military. And I, I believe that uh, what it does is it sets the stage for people to be able to live their faith openly. Because in the last decade, I think that what we see is that our military members have almost had to go underground with their faith. If they were really wanted, if they were Christians especially, yeah. and they really wanted to live their faith according to the dictates of their, their holy word, the Bible, uh, is almost like they had to do it underground. It's not entirely true across the services, but for, for many, many people that has been the case. Especially if you want to live it out. I if mean, you if you're trying to live, to live according to it. That's exactly right. And, and now I think that... Uh, this case that uh, was uh, resolved with Coach Kennedy, though, I think had far greater impacts than just Coach Kennedy, and I think it has set the stage now for people to have more freedom. Uh, now, why is that important? It is important because we've got to have a military that has values. If we don't have a military with values, then we have a bunch of mercenaries. Yeah. And our military has always had values. And I don't want to hand weapons to someone without good yeah. values. That's exactly right. And, and especially when they've had the kind of training that you're going to get in the military. Yeah. So we need a values-based military. We need a, a people that, that uh, accept those values. And everybody doesn't have to be a Christian. And, but we have to have a large enough cohort of, of Christians in our military today that that their values kind of rub off on other people. And we don't realize just how much uh, uh, just living our faith influences the people around us, whether it's in the military or someplace else. So I'm encouraged now. I, I, see, I see an administration that wants to shut down religious liberty in the military at the same time that the Supreme Court is saying, no, you can't. Mm -hmm. And I think that what we're going to see in the future is, is much brighter than what we've seen for the last decade. How do you see Coach Kennedy's decision making the connection to military religious freedom? 
Yeah, well, it, it, it kind of codified what his rights are, and I'm not a lawyer, but I listened to Kelly Shackelford as he explained the whole thing yeah. uh, last week, as a matter of fact. And, uh, and it goes beyond just uh, Coach Kennedy being able to pray on the sideline because the ruling was based on uh, the judgment of the Supreme Court as to what the Founding Fathers actually intended, what the Constitution really means, the originality of the Constitution and its meaning. And so I'm encouraged by what I see. There's definitely a culture in the military, and it's different than the popular culture that, yeah, that right. is in most of society. But in recent years, we're seeing that popular culture beginning to show up in military culture and it's creating problems. What do you see? What I see is that uh, this this administration is so determined to have a quote woke military. A military that uh, has been trained in critical race theory, that has been trained in tolerance, inclusion, uh, radicalism, you know, and uh, all of those things that take up enormous amounts of time that should be used to prepare our men and women for war. Because as Douglas MacArthur said in 1963 at the West Point and West Point Mess Hall, or dining facility if you prefer that, he said your mission, talking to the cadets there, your mission remains determined, fixed, inviolable, and it is to win the nation's wars. That has not changed. And everything that is done especially decisions that are made by the administration or by the Congress with regards to our military, need to be made with a focus on how does this enhance our ability to win the nation's wars. And if you can't say that it will enhance our, our, nation, our, our ability or our readiness to win the nation's wars, then don't do it. Yeah. It's not a good decision. It's not a good policy. It's not a good system. Keep in mind, it's too late after the war starts to try and get ready. We're also seeing that this change in the culture within the military is leading to recruitment issues because a great many of the nation's young people that would desire a career in the military are looking at these new values saying, that's not me. That's exactly right. And uh, the Army alone is down at least 40,000 people. Short, wow. They're short 40,000 people. They're giving up, giving back. That's more than my hometown. Oh, yeah. they're giving back 12,000 Army slots. Now, the Army works for these slots. They, they're always in a battle with the other services. They want more slots. No. Now they can't fill them all. Why? Because we have ad- uh, adopted this woke <clears throat> agenda at the expense of religious liberty. And think about it. And now you've got moms and dads all over the country that don't want their sons and daughters to come into the military, and we're seeing the impact of that now. And that's just the Army that's over 40,000 below their recruiting goal. So what do we do? How do we turn this around? Well, first, let's start at the ballot box. We need a commander-in-chief that cares about our military and understands its role and is willing to to make hard decisions to support our military to get back on their feet. And it is also willing to appoint leaders in our military that are focused on winning the nation's wars, not on some philosopher, uh, not on these woke things, but on winning the nation's wars. That's where we start, is at the ballot box. 
But the second thing is we get educated. We get, a, we get to the point where we understand what's happening in our military so we can advocate for them. But you can't advocate for it if you don't really know what's going on. Right. So we need to find out. People need to find out, and they're good sources. They're good sources of to find out what's going on. And if they care about religious liberty and and see that as the issue that I think it has been, then go to the go to your website. Go to the website for First Liberty, and you can kind of get a pretty good picture of what's happening mm-hmm. in the things that are are taking place right now. Parents are more focused than ever on what their children are being taught within the public school systems. Stewart talked to an expert on an important alternative within the public school systems that's becoming very appealing to families. I want to introduce you to Leslie Miller. She is an expert in classical education. In fact, she's chairman of the board of the Society for Classical Learning. She's held leadership positions at a number of classical schools in Texas and Virginia, even teaches classes about it with Gordon College. Hi, Leslie. Hello. Thank you for uh, spending a few minutes with us today. uh, Many people may wonder, they may have heard about classical education, but they don't know what it is. How do you explain it to people who've never heard of it? Well, I think the easiest way to think about it is it's a return to probably the education, more like the education that maybe our grandparents had. And it's based upon what the Greeks or Romans would have said is the foundational education, classic liberal arts education, that a person needs to function well in a free society. So the core foundational education education content and more importantly mental processes that you need to be a good citizen to be responsible for protecting your own freedom. Yeah, most people think Latin But that's that's just the beginning of it, right? That's part of it, but we also teach logic. We intentionally focus on logic, analytical thinking. Boy, we could use that today. (laughs) And the the education is split up into sort of three stages where you're kind of learning foundations, then you're learning to apply logic and analytical reasoning to those foundations, and then you're learning the communication skills to communicate them well and engage winsomely with people who don't necessarily believe what you believe and hopefully be able to convey your way your your viewpoints in a way that makes a difference. We're several generations down the road of not teaching logic in schools yes. and and I've always had the sense that that may be a large part of the explanation of how we got here where we are, are culturally. Would you agree with that? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. It, it has always baffled me that we would remove that and then expect people to be uh, good citizens or good voters or even able to figure out what they want to do with their lives. Why does classical education have such a place in your heart? You've devoted a lot of energy to it. I have, and I kind of stumbled into it. I'm an attorney by training, which kind of gives me a bent towards logic and analytical reasoning. Hmm. And I had some frustrations with my own education. Something else that classical education believes in is that learning ought to be interconnected, that we ought to study how the different areas of, of, of education, like literature and science and history, affected one another. And mine was very bifurcated and siloed, which is a common experience. And I found myself trying to put all that back together again and being frustrated and wanting something different from my own children when I stumbled across this at a very, at the time, small school in uh, just outside of San Antonio, Texas. And I fell in love with it because it answered a longing that I had when I didn't know there was an answer out there. And I became passionate about it at that time. What are the challenges to classical education right now? 
Well, uh, first off, it is as Christian classical education, we're private schools. So funding's always trying to be good stewards of our parents' funds, trying to be able to at the same time pay teachers a living wage and put all that together. Yeah. Uh, we don't have the benefit of, of taxes to do that with. So that's a big challenge. I think the other biggest challenge is that increasingly what we do is, is labeled by people who don't actually really understand what we do as somehow by its very nature bigoted, honestly, because it, we believe in the benefits of classical Western civilization. And we believe there's much to be mined in that. We believe that we don't want to create our civilization, civilization de novo, that our founding fathers were all classically educated either in schools or by themselves, and that we need to build on that foundation. But these days, if you say you want to study Aristotle or that you want to read Plato or that God forbid you want to study the Founding Fathers, hmm. somehow that makes you prejudiced at the uh, out front. So getting past that sort of initial reaction so people understand what it is we do. And it's really true, I think. If you're going to hold the other point of view, you have to get all those folks out of the books. You can't talk about them. You can't study the things they said because they're anathema to the current culture. They are, but the, the interesting thing about the current culture is it's not that we want to engage and discuss where they were right and where they were wrong and learn what we can from them and then discard what we would find we don't want to, to emulate. And obviously there's much about the Founding Fathers that we don't want to emulate, yeah. but more that we just need to reject them altogether and somehow create entire new standards of our own. And so what we would say is that's just inherently self-destructive to an individual or to, to a society, that there's much to be learned. And there's much to be learned from those that, that we disagree with. That the other thing that sets us apart is that we very much want our students to engage with other points of view. We're not trying to insulate them from that. We're trying, we believe that all truth is God's truth and that we can mine all of his creation, including that that was discovered or articulated by people who did not necessarily know him for his truth. And so we want to be able to engage in all of it. And something I've long argued is there are no perfect people. The founding fathers weren't perfect one. people. There was one. But but what they were looking for were perfect ideas. That's what they were after, and that's why they're so interesting to study. Well, and they were willing to study. They were willing to, to engage in ideas. They were willing to think about them. They were even willing to articulate them when they knew that they themselves weren't living up to them. Right. And for several generations, I mean, for 100 years after the founders, we could articulate that these are ideals, and we could self-reflect in the areas that our country was not living up to them. And people like Judge Learned Ham, Frederick Douglass, they were the ones that Martin Luther King would point out, these are our ideals, and the ideals are good, and we want to call our country to live up to what it has articulated as its best self. And we could say that our founders didn't do that. They articulated good ideals, even when they themselves or the country at the time didn't fully live up to them. Yeah. I, you, you said something on a panel just a few minutes ago that I wrote down. And I just to close out, I just want to get your thoughts on what you said. You said, truth is inconvenient but coherent. Mm -hmm. Lies are convenient but incoherent. Unpack that for us. Well, what I meant by that is I have a great hope in truth. And I believe that truth will eventually reveal itself, that God will reveal truth, but that we cannot deny it forever. But it is inconvenient. I mean, that's what we see in the world around us. We want to define our own lives. We want to do what we want to do. Yeah. Uh, and so we would like to deny what is true in order to follow our impulses, but they inevitably lead us to places that are incoherent and destructive. The only place to find something that's coherent, whether it's in education, whether it's in your life and finding fulfillment in your own 
own purposes or it's in your nation as a whole is by looking for that coherent truth. And to the extent that we espouse ideals or values that are incoherent, we, it inevitably falls of its own weight. Very good. Leslie Miller, great chatting with you. It's been my pleasure. If you'd like to keep up to date with everything that's happening to religious freedom in America, take a moment to subscribe to First Liberty's weekly insider email. Go to firstliberty.org and look for the big button that says to become an insider. It's quick, easy, and it's free. First Liberty is your last line of defense and your greatest hope for victory.